A note. Following advice from work-life imbalance may lead to action being taken by HR, your family, the authorities, or higher powers. Welcome to Work-Life Imbalance, an advice show focusing on workplace and lifestyle issues. Any resemblance to actual advice, living or dead, or actual wisdom is purely coincidental. I'm your merciless manager, Frank Eastman. And I'm your lovable office companion, Derek Lewis. Today we'll be talking about per diem in the deep dive before we address some audience questions and issues from the internet. But first... Would you like to do the daily stand-up? Let us do it. All right. What do you All got right. for us? Uh, so, <laughs> so lately, uh, there's been a little bit of talk around uh, some of the Facebook groups from the the high school that I went to. Uh, you know, I graduated in 2004, uh, so it's you know it's been a minute, um, and you know it's been several years since our 10 uh, year uh, high school reunion. Right. Uh, but they're they're kind of talking, and apparently some people were friendlier in high school <laughs> than I remember. Um, and they were thinking about doing a 15-year reunion, just kind of tossing it out to see if anybody uh, would bite. Um, and so I didn't go to my 10-year reunion because, you know, I went to uh, a, a very rural school. Um, I could not run out of there fast enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the only reason I go back to that town... Uh, is to visit my parents. Um, so I did not go, you know, I did not go to my 10 year. Um, right. I sure as hell, I'm not going to go to an out of band 15 year high school reunion. Yeah. It's like 10 um, and then 20 is the usual. Yeah. And that, that's totally what I thought. Uh, but like I said, some of these folks have kept in touch and, uh, they like each other <laughs> more than, more than I thought. Um, and you know, maybe I'll go to the 20, uh, but yeah, I just want to kind of get gauge, uh, gauge your thoughts on how much, uh, you liked the people that you went to school with and whether or not they would, <laughs> they would make you go to a reunion. So any of the people that I went to high school with who are listening, I loved you, man. <laughs> you were great. Uh, anyone from my high school who's not listening, fuck it. I had no interest <laughs> uh, like literally, I think we had a reunion. It wasn't a 10 year, but it was, uh, I guess, a maybe they had a 15. It was just this last year. Um, and it was, I think an off year reunion right. that I, I didn't go to, like I, I was tossing it back and forth mostly because two particular people had specifically asked me to come. Uh-oh. Like, I I would have otherwise... <laughs> you, you got a personal handheld or a hand-delivered invite to it. Pretty much. Like, uh, uh, like two people said, you know, I would really like to have someone to talk to that isn't going to be terrible. Will you please come to the reunion so that we can, right. we can have conversations that are not terrible? And I was like, maybe... Um... <laughs> You gave that soft maybe on Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> but when it came down to the day, I forget exactly what it was. It was, I had a good, I remember, I had a good reason, but it wasn't a great reason. Like, I had the uh -huh. flu, so it was a good reason I mean, to I, not I would go. say that's a pretty good reason. Yeah, that, that's a pretty formidable reason. On on the table of reasons, uh, that's like, you know, death of a family member in my, in my opinion. Yeah, like. It was the tail end of the flu, and I had been on Tamiflu, so it wasn't like I was contagious and I was starting to get over it, but at the time that it would have been, like, me deciding to go and, like, getting stuff packed up to leave town to go back to, you know, the old alma mater. Right. I was not in any way, shape, or form fit to do so, so when it came down to the actual day, it's like... I could conceivably just toss some shit in a bag and run out and drive for four hours to get over right. there just so that you guys can see me, but 
And, and like, I, I stay in touch a bit with a couple people, just, like, a scant handful of people who were my friends. Right. And uh, Facebook is a weird thing. It so is. Facebook, I, I am friends, quote, with a, <laughs> a decent number of people from my high school. Right. And it's like I get to see where they post about relatively major life occurrences for them. Yeah. And it's almost like I really don't need to talk to them. Right. I mean, you keep those uh, somewhat hmm, somewhat lukewarm associations that you had in high school. And so, yeah, it, it lets you kind of have those superficial relationships for a lot. You know, just extend them until your natural death. Right. Um, but no, I, I did not, I did not have any good excuse for not going to my, my 10 year. I guess I kind of wanted to, but then, <laughs> then like every other social commitment that I make, uh, that day, the only thing <laughs> that would, that would feel good is for me to cancel my plans. Like, <laughs> and that's how it goes with like most of my social engagements. It's like at the time I'm like, oh man, that'd be so great to do this. Like. You go to a concert or, uh, you know, see some old friends or go to this high school reunion. But then the day of, I'm like, why the hell did I commit to this? Like, <laughs> see, I get that feeling too, but I am such a rigid person that I, I'm sort of compelled to do the things that I've said I'm going to do and I will Whether do or not them. you want to do them. Yeah. It was like, because I said maybe was the only way that I wasn't like dragging my half dead corpse through the mud <laughs> to make it to a thing that I would have rather cut my arm off than attend. Like, right. If, if you can get me to promise to do something, I will do it. I'm not going to, you know, turn around at the last minute and be like, eh, actually, now that I think about it, that sounds like it's going to suck a lot. <laughs> See, that's my thing is that I, I, in the moment, like when I'm discussing it, I'm like, oh man, that actually, oh, that's, you're hitting me at a, <laughs> at a high point of the day. That sounds great. Uh, but as it gets closer, it's like, man, this is, this is going to be shitty. Like, I mean, it, nothing good about this. It always sounds like it's going to be terrible to me. So <laughs> it was like the only reason I would have gone, as I said, was that a couple people who I like were specifically asking me to go. And even then I was like, eh, maybe I, uh, Oh, look, I got the flu. Yes. I, <laughs> Oh, shucks. Shucks. <laughs> I went and licked doorknobs for a week. Well, darn. And finally got the flu. <laughs> uh, now I find that like most of the people that, that I wanted to keep up with were, I mean, they were just people that I met in college. I mean, I don't really have, a, I have a couple of connections that, that came out of my high school, but, uh, only, I mean, only a couple, but the rest of them are, are from college and from college, I've got, you know, probably a, a couple dozen or more people that I keep up with, but, um, high school, you know, we, <laughs> there was nothing that brought us together, but rural geography and that's it. At least in college, right. you might've been, you know, in, in my same major or, in a kind of tangential major to me. And that made it interesting. College. Like for me, college was pretty much the same as high school. And <laughs> I think we've probably detected a theme in terms of my interpersonal relationships going. Right. Like if, if you're from college with me and you're listening to this podcast, I love you, man. <laughs> if you went to college with, with me and you aren't listening to this podcast, like, eh, <laughs> I just, and it's the same thing. Like I'm friends quote unquote with them on Facebook and I see a lot of this stuff, but that's like a double edged sword right. because it has exhausted all the stuff that we would talk about in a different age. Like, right. If, if this were like the pre Facebook age and I saw a person that I kind of hung out with some in college, then we could sit and be like, Oh, how are things with you? Oh, you got this job. You got married. Oh, now you have kids. Yeah, but lots Facebook, of stuff to catch up on. Right. With Facebook, I'm like, yeah, the thing with you and Mary didn't work out. I'm glad that little Susie graduated from high school. Uh, sweet new car that you got. Uh, <laughs> right. Glad you got that job. 
<laughs> and that that stew you made last week looked really good. Yeah, that looked delicious. And fuck, I'm tapped out, man. That's it. I guess I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> all right, I'll go have another superficial interaction with somebody else at this table. Yeah, I've got I've got nothing left. Like we have we've accidentally exhausted everything that we might have actually talked to each other about because we're friends on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it, that that is an interesting point, uh, and I, I think that that will probably continue to be like worse and worse as time goes on. Uh, Cause I think that as people and it, and it's wonderful, like, don't get me wrong. Like being able to keep in touch with stuff, with people that you otherwise would have lost contact with. Like, that's cool. I get that. Like it, it just makes the world feel a lot smaller in, in a positive way. But at the same time, like it's going to completely make reunions and things like that more, you know, mostly irrelevant because like you said, you know everything about the other person. A lot of times, more than you want to know. <laughs> oh yeah! Like there's there's so many things about the people you know from my high school and and from other other you know uh, places like in college and things like that. I know way more about these people than I actually want to. Not not that they're bad people. I just don't want to know like the color of their stool that day. Like, yeah, <laughs> that is not that is not required information for my daily life. Yeah, like uh, that you had a hamburger that was like really cool or look at this milkshake that I'm about to drink. Like that shit I don't need to know from that one person I talked to for 15 minutes that one time, you know, between college classes. And then, of course, like there's a handful of people that I remember from college that I would wish that we had kept up, but we just didn't ever become Facebook friends. Right. Like I was in college when Facebook was just getting started. Yeah. Uh I actually I have two different Facebook accounts that I was never able to to merge. Uh because I forgot that I was on Facebook in college. Right. And it was only later I think I had I was getting onto Facebook for work or something like that and I was like, "Ah, I have created Facebook account. This is good." <laughs> and then a, a person that I knew was like Hey, why did you make another Facebook account? And I was like, what do you mean another Facebook account? Son of a bitch. But the (laughs) other one, because it was, you know, at the time when Facebook first came out, it was just for college kids. It was locked to like my college email. Right. Which, Which, shit, I haven't had access to that in 10 years, you know? So it's like, I have no way to do the recovery for that or anything like that. And it's like, well, I guess... That version of me has been stagnant for the last 10 years. So on your new profile, you had to write the real Frank Eastman. Uh, I didn't bother because there's just not enough people who would care one way or the other. Oh, <laughs> that's it, not true. It did. Uh, it did, however, suggest me to myself as a friend. <laughs> and it's I was like, like no, you really like, get you me. You seem Facebook. to be friends with assholes. Here's another guy that's just as much of an asshole as you are. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, you, you know, following following people's lives on Facebook is also is often a a pretty creepy thing. All things considered, I will say uh, the nice thing about <laughs> the cluster uh, that was the the 2016 elections is that it allowed me to block. Most of the people from my high school. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so now, if we do have a reunion, I will have, I will have no clue what their life is like. Yeah. Uh, the problem, the problem is, is that based on the reason I blocked them, chances are it won't be positive. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like I don't know what's been up with you, but at the same time, I could give a lesser fuck. So, <laughs> peace. So, so I'm just gonna take my free hors d'oeuvres and I'm gonna bounce. How about that? <laughs> eat these, eat these tiny meatballs and uh, drink this Shirley Temple, and I'm gonna wander my happy to, ass out here. Walk over to the table and just take, the, bring your own. Uh, it, to, to be completely classless, it has to be like a Walmart, Walmart plastic bag. Just dump the meatballs in and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, you want to get into the deep dive? Yeah, let's get into the deep dive. Cool. So, when you're traveling uh and you're traveling for business, you end up having to eat out a certain amount. And generally, right. when you're doing business travel for company purposes, they'll give you a per diem. 
Uh, it basically is just a budget for, you know, how much you can spend on food. And, like, spending that money will become a very complex and in-depth game among employees. Right. And you've you've been there, I know, because we've done business travel together where it's like, all right, so I can spend $35 on a meal, and if I go to this restaurant, I'll get the filet mignon with double <laughs> mashed potatoes with truffle sauce and a water. Exactly. <laughs> and, and at the end, it's like, that was exactly thirty four ninety eight. Well done. If I get the salad without the salad dressing, can you knock a couple bucks off? <laughs> uh, no, I, that is exactly uh, the math that's going on in my head when uh, I have that that per diem or or the the per meal allowance because it's not it has nothing to do with me wanting to take advantage of the company or anything like that. Um, but you know, there are some times where it's like. Y- y'all are just going buck wild with this thing, and I would hate to not be in the spirit of the, the festivities myself, right? And and leave any money on the table. Um, so you know, I will go as far as to, um, you know, pre-calculate some some things about like the tax and uh, the tip and things like that. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. I <laughs> my favorite thing is you know going somewhere that's not very expensive and just going hog wild, like. You know, you know, we went to that uh, that Korean place at one time. Exactly. The, the, the kind of Korean, uh, not fast food, but um, kind of the Zaxby's of, of Korean food. <laughs> yeah. um, fast and, casual. And it was exactly fast casual. That's what I was looking for. And it was delicious. Like, I had zero complaints about the food quality. What it allowed us to do, and, and you know, I was the one that, that expensed the three of us, and, like... Calculating a 20% tip, which was you know, what we were allowed to give, all that, like it came out to, you know, uh, <laughs> it was like 104.75 with tax, tip, and everything. That is 25 cents short <laughs> of, of, of our your, maximum. Yeah, of the so, per diem of all of us combined. Right. And, you know, and all of us got like two or three things. And yeah. it was fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah. I have. <laughs> I've never been so full of Korean food. Oh, um, me either. I, I think we, we kind of trundled out of there and had to be rolled <laughs> from street to street. <laughs> uh, and the uh, the other thing that kind of comes into play, and which came into play pretty starkly for me this weekend, uh-huh. is that certain areas of the country, we'll just be frank about it, the food sucks. Oh, yeah. Like, we Absolutely. live... We live in a food area. The Southeast in general is is pretty, you know, solid on food and the city that we live in is a food town. Yeah, and it, so it is a food it is a food mecca. Going up to the northeast, like outside of a couple of regional dishes, the food just they don't seem to have the same soul. Like I I agree 100%. It is easy to get terrible food and so this weekend we took a a short a uh, little overnight trip uh, over to Atlanta. And mm-hmm. I didn't make the hotel reservations, but we happened okay. to stay at um, the same chain that we usually stay at for business trips into the Northeast. Oh, boy. And you oh, and please I... tell me it was not the same same restaurant downstairs. Yes. Oh, yes, the no. same The same <laughs> restaurant downstairs. But here's the thing, and I was surprised. Like, I, I wasn't going to say anything. Because I, I didn't make the reservations, and we got the um, package that had uh, breakfast included. Right. And I've had that breakfast bar. Right. Yeah, and, and the, the one the one up north, that breakfast bar is, I mean, frankly, just an atrocity. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it, it, is, it is sad, it is terrible. And, it is flavorless. Like, the only thing with flavor are the things that are, are literally... You have 50% grease by weight. Yeah. Like everything else is is just flavorless. The bacon is mostly grease and mostly salt, and that's probably the most <laughs> flavor that you're going to wring out of the whole fucking meal. Absolutely. So I went downstairs, and it was like, all right, we've got the, the breakfast buffet already included in everything. I'm going to eat it because I'm going to eat it. it. You already paid yeah, for we've it. already paid for it. And I'm not going to say shit about, like, we have this every time I go up. 
Uh, right. And and it's uniformly <laughs> terrible every time. Yeah, well, you don't want to put that thoughts in in everybody else's head already. Like, right. You want to give them a chance to, to come to the same conclusion on their own. Right. Well, it's a difference about the soul that people put into cooking. Hmm. Because that breakfast, it was the same shit, and it was great. Really? Yeah, like... The, See, that makes me even more angry. It it made me upset because I was like, you can actually take these same ingredients and make real shitty food from it. Did you know that? <laughs> and they and the, but they not only did they have the same stuff, but they had more. It was obvious like more like, options. More options. So like the bacon is the same bacon. Like that is one hundred percent they just send out that bacon to everybody. <laughs> right. But this one had turkey bacon in addition. Like, I was not expecting that. And so, you know, that's cool. We've got, we've got a turkey option. The home fries that are just like pallid lumps of potato with a couple of scraps of like red bell pepper just tossed in and then lightly browned to a a tan consistency. (laughs) And even that is honestly giving it too much credit. Like that description like doesn't sound as unappetizing as the final product ended oh, yeah. up being. They uh, they somehow managed to make potatoes plus some amount of oil <laughs> plus a little bit of red bell pepper taste exactly like cardboard. Right. The, the one down here in Atlanta though, those were good home fries. Like they were crunchy, mm. crispy, they had a good amount of salt and flavor on them. It actually tasted really good, like someone had hit it with a little extra seasoning or something. Yeah, a little paprika or something like that. Right. Those eggs, you know, the powdered eggs that are just so obviously powdered eggs, and they, like, cook them until they are so gelatinously solidified <laughs> that they do not uh, yeah. move, and they're they're sort of leaking water out of them. Like, the water is right. coming back out of suspension that they've overcooked these eggs so bad. Even the water wants to be as far away from them as possible. Exactly. They managed to take the the same powdered eggs and they didn't cook the absolute fuck out of them and they threw in some American cheese. They made like cheese eggs and they were fucking awesome. They were great. I was just like, how the hell? And it was obvious that these, you know, these guys in the back actually cared. And and the way they had it set up, you could see the cooks on the line. Oh, okay. Like... From, it's just from like where you were. giving them a thumbs up. <laughs> we actually tipped them out. Like we we nice. tipped out the because uh, we had you know we'd already paid for it uh, essentially. We were so impressed in general <laughs> that you're just speechless the entire meal because you were actually tasting flavor. <laughs> exactly, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, yeah. Not only is this good, like I agree with you. This is a good breakfast, and it was definitely worth what we paid for it. Right. But you don't understand. I get this breakfast on a regular basis in the Northeast, and it is terrible. Like, it is shit. And here's the here's See, the gigantic kicker on top of it. It's $8 uh-huh. cheaper in Atlanta. Oh, you're kidding me. I fuck you not. It is Jesus $8 Christ. cheaper in Atlanta. Holy crap. <laughs> See, the thing is, I, I, think that, I think that down here in the South, uh, you would be run out of town on a rail... If you served like just bland, boring, awful food, I think. <laughs> well, around here, we've, it's kind of, tough. We've, we've kind of been trashing <laughs> any Northeast li- listeners. I want you to know, I don't think you're bad people. I just think the winter has dulled your taste buds to where you don't necessarily taste flavor like everybody else. Something has uh, happened. That or they're too close to England with the New England. <laughs> Yeah, so they, uh, you know, they have those um, English taste buds that um, didn't really expect a whole lot of flavor. And and anybody listening in the southeast, Atlanta, Georgia, etc., if you want to make a fucking killing, and you're like <laughs> a line cook at a random like slop house, move to the northeast because what you do with bad ingredients, they can't do. With great ingredients. With good ingredients. That's and exactly you could open a right. restaurant and clean house all day long. Oh, God. 
Yeah, I mean, even you know, not not disparaging anybody that works at Waffle House, just throwing that out there beforehand. Uh, but even somebody who just kind of slings hash and scrambles some eggs at Waffle House probably would do a better job than you know whoever's running the, the kitchen up there. And I, I'm I'm sure the cooks are just kind of doing what what they've been told. Like this is how you make the food. This is oh, how yeah. it's supposed to taste. Uh, I'm sorry, North Northeast people. That's not how food's supposed to taste. <laughs> There's supposed to be flavor in there somewhere. <laughs> and it was just the juxtaposition for me was just so amazing because it was literally like I could tell these are the same ingredients. It's the same chain. It's the same ingredients. They're obviously getting them from a unified distributor of some sort. Yeah. And, and it's just the personal touches and stuff like that that they did in Atlanta that they just don't do in in the Northeast that it was like, wow, you can take, you know, you can take humble things and turn them into beautiful food or you can take really <laughs> good ingredients food. and turn them into barely edible gray paste <laughs> and it's about the cook. Right. And I, I honestly, I just think it's like if they just transplanted one of their cooks. Uh, yeah, just one. Just just take like one cook from the southeastern portion of the uh, of the place and transport them up to the northeast. I would like to think that they would infect everyone else with flavor. <laughs> <laughs> they would bring the uh, <laughs> they would bring the good word of Guy Fieri. And make sure that everybody in the Northeast got brought to Flavortown. Exactly. They're all going to Flavortown. <laughs> yeah, most of the, most of the good stuff that uh, that we've eaten has been and been recommendations by a local, you know, somebody who works at the company that is very local to that area. But the problem is, is that a lot of the recommendations we that we took when we first got there <laughs> were from other people that came down, ate somewhere. And then said, hey, this was good when they were incorrect. This is good for them was <laughs> I didn't get food poisoning and die. Right. Which I'm not saying I'm not saying that's a bad metric. Like <laughs> because of the places that we have eaten and the food that I've eaten up there, you know, I've gotten food poisoning well, up there. I was gonna say like, <laughs> you did you did get food poisoning, so there's that. So I, I, I that. for one, am okay by you know with using that as some sort of metric. Uh, but I'm not saying it's. I'm just not saying it's the only metric. <laughs> no, that that's true. <laughs> and and you know what's funny? Like, I would say that probably one of the top three meals that we had up there <laughs> was at that fucking Denny's. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree. Like we stopped at the Denny's and just obviously it was run down and and terrible and I did not want to see the uh health inspector score at all. No, and, it, it was you know, it was not visible. Like they had something stapled over it somewhere because yeah, uh, there was a there was a layer of film everywhere. Like by even by Denny's standards, like this was not a high quality Denny's. <laughs> like, yeah, no, make no mistake. But the food that we got from there, that was probably one of the best meals we had in in the Northeast. And the thing about it was, and I think this is, uh, you know, touching back on what I was saying, I think it's because they cared, right? Like the the guy who was serving us was personally invested in the food and so he was like no you don't want to get that yeah he was uh, actually yeah, making we, recommendations right and and when we we when he couldn't do one of the things that we wanted he was like give me a second i'm going to go work with the chef <laughs> and that greasy food stained slack ass guy <laughs> i could tell he was going to present us with food that was not good for us <laughs> but which was going to be tasty right because that's the kind of bullshit that he'd be eating. Right. <laughs> he, he may eat like a uh, like a garbage person, but you know, he's a garbage person that, that liked flavor and he saw a bit of the, the garbage person spark in us. Yes. <laughs> and so he knew that he had he had to be our standard bearer. <laughs> our our trash people were reflected in one another and, and we knew our kin. <laughs> I know another trash person when I see them. I'm going to add extra cheese to whatever they're getting. 
All right, Derek, ready for an audience question? Absolutely. Talking to someone in upper management feels like I've suddenly been invited to sit at the popular kids table in high school, and I don't know what to talk about. So I just try and look cool and act cool, but I come off as awkward and overly happy. How do I normal? How do I normal? <laughs> Sent in by Abnormal in Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is one that I, I think I've struggled with a deep, uh, a decent amount in the past. Is uh, it, it always seems like every so often you get invited into these meetings where you really feel like you have no place being in. Uh, I know that you were in a lot. You've probably been in more upper management client meetings than I have. Uh, what what are your tips and tricks, your strategy guide for dealing with that situation? So for me, everybody suffers from imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Like, everyone feels like everyone else in the room must be better suited and must know more about the subject than they do. Unless they don't know anything. Right. Like, <laughs> that's that that's that whole Dunning-Kruger thing where it's like, the less someone knows about a subject, the more apt they are to say that they are an expert in the subject. Right. <laughs> Whereas anybody who has... Described, that's described several, maybe not several, but some of my bosses. Oh, yeah. No. no I in mean, the past. For, in the past. Real. Jesus Christ. I mean, in the past. Not, not, not my current bosses. I want to make that clear. <laughs> but, and, and that's the thing. People who do know what they're talking about or who do know what they're doing are going to be the kind of people that also suffer from imposter syndrome. Right. Because the more like, you know about a topic or a subject or, uh, you know, your, just your job in general, the, the more you realize you don't know. And right. that can either be a source of confidence where it's like, yeah, I... I know I don't know everything. I, It's impossible for somebody to know everything, so I'm going to do the best job I can, and you know I'm going to present honesty. Uh, or it's the other way, where that, in, that imposter syndrome makes you feel threatened, uh, insecure, and I think those are the ones that you got to watch out for. Um, because like you said, the, the, you know, those are the type of people that are going to be susceptible to the Dunning-Kruger effect, where I don't know anything about this. So either, you know, my, my brain is tricking me into thinking that I do to, to cope with something, or I just have to be, you know, the biggest swinging dick in the room and nobody will find out. Well, a lot of it is like the folks that talk the biggest game are often the people who have the most experience talking a big game right not that they necessarily know anything so from years and years of working with sales professionals like they're used to going into a situation in which they know maybe a scant small handful of facts right and talking up like they know everything about it um and and they're good at like the soft skills at talking one-on-one -on -one with another person and getting them to trust. Right. And so that's that's that frustrating element where it's like, why are they listening to that guy? That guy's the one guy in the room who literally knows nothing about this. <laughs> but at the same time, he's the guy who's essentially trained to be an expert at talking to people about shit he has no, con no clue about. Right. In a confident tone. He is a bullshit specialist. Like, that is, that could, may as well be his title. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And that will get you very far. It will. Absolutely. Very, very far. Right. Um, like, that'll get you to the top echelons of anything and everything, is just having that confidence to say without, you know, without blinking, I know what I'm doing. I'm the person that will be the person that you need in order to solve this problem. Right. And the, so for, the, I mean, so part of the problem is that, you know, there are a lot of those guys uh, or, or just people in general. Um, it's definitely not, not exclusively male. Um, but there are a lot of folks like that, that will never get somebody that just like checks them. Like, you know, nobody, oh, yeah, no, nobody's going to like shove them against the glass and, and really make them prove that they know what they're saying that they know. And, you know, when that happens, it can be just brilliant, 
especially if it's in, you know, a, a really big meeting with a client. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because then then you get to see, you know, how adept of a bullshitter they are. Because occasionally you go to check somebody and, you know, maybe you're not trying to be an asshole, but it comes off that way. And all of a sudden they just turn it around on you and you end up looking like the asshole. Uh, th- those are terrible. But sometimes it's that perfect that perfect subtlety where you know you say something and they have to they have to elaborate or they have to you know really go out on a limb and the client knows what's what's happening you know what's happening they know what's happening and they're just trying to stop the train wreck before it it really gets rolling and if they can't oh man it is it is just all you can do not to just smile <laughs> uh. Which is especially problematic when it's your own company, it's your own people that, right. are, that are basically eating themselves. Right. And and it's one of the harder skills to learn, I will say, is the ability to do that, to disassemble the guy in the room that doesn't know anything about it without making it obvious to everybody in the room that that's what you're doing. Right. Which is, which is where you are usurping control of the conversation. You're taking the lead without necessarily making the entire organization look bad right because you're taking it out of the hands of the person who is you know that that sales guy who is going to talk about it and doesn't actually know anything about it and then for the person who is the expert in the room to to grab the reins so to speak and begin to to steer it off into another direction right i I think it's i think it's kind of the difference between like some sort of arm wrestling match in the middle of the conference room versus like a Jedi mind battle, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're basically, you know, the correct way to do it is to have that kind of like <laughs> telekinetic battle with this other person. Um, you, you are the only two people in the room that know that you're fighting this out, but, but no, these are if, not the projects you're looking for, <laughs> but if you are masterful enough to do it, uh, we're only you and the person that you are, that you are trying to put in their place know about it. That that is very high skill. But for for abnormal and Albuquerque, like I think the key takeaway is for you know knowledge workers who are actually experts. It, when you get into the room and you feel like you shouldn't be there, you got to fake it till you make it. Absolutely. Like you go into the situation and you're going to think that you are awkward and you just have to lean into it. And you know, I think that by and large. Whenever you get invited to, you know, a, a meeting with the bigwigs or something like that, there's probably a rare occurrence where, you know, somebody's inviting you into a meeting to intentionally, like, get yourself screwed up. Like, they 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 want to embarrass you or something like that, so they invite you to a meeting you have no business being in, and then they shame you. Um, it's a trap. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Admiral Akbar. Um if you're invited to one of those meetings and you're in a, and you're you think that you are surrounded by people you have no business talking to, somebody probably thought that you had business being in that room. Pinch your monocle in your eye, put your <laughs> bubble pipe to your lips, blow a bunch of good bubbles. They got to be good and bubbles. Offer they can't your be wisdom. those like shitty like little bitty like you know cluster of three bubbles. They got to be oh no big bubbles that come away from the pipe because if they just kind of like froth over the edge then then yeah then actually you are looking like an idiot right at the moment but <laughs> but if you're getting some good full-size bubbles and you've got your monocle in there's there's nothing you can't do uh, you know you do have to have some tea in front of you and then when somebody says something shocking or whatnot you have to drop the monocle into the tea uh, yes and and the same thing with the the bubble pipe. Uh, if you're blowing bad bubbles, you're gonna look like an asshole. If you drop the monocle and it just kind of like falls next to the teacup and breaks, you also look like an asshole. So yeah, maybe practice you beforehand. Get full dunk. You know, you you gotta you gotta make sure you get the accuracy right because <laughs> there's nothing worse than somebody just dropping their monocle inaccurately in the middle of a meeting. I, I mean, mean, I've seen that bring a meeting to a screeching silent halt as everyone just turns to look. At the guy who was unable to hit the teacup with the monocle. And then you have a, a hazard because it probably broke. And so now there's just glass everywhere. And it probably went oh, yeah. in, It probably kind of, you know, flew a little bit. And so now you don't know where all the glass is going. Everybody's got to get up very carefully. And maybe it lands in somebody's like salad or something. If it's a, if it's a lunch meeting. Um, 
you really got to be careful. But if you can execute it properly, then you control that room. But no, I mean, fake it till you make it is... Uh, I'm not necessarily going to call it my mantra, but I mean, you know, I, I think everybody feels like that for a long time in their career. Sometimes you'll have those coworkers or bosses or whatnot that want to make you feel bad about not knowing stuff. But most people, most people don't really care. Like most people are just, they're trying to look out for, you know, they're trying to mind their own business, just trying to get through life themselves. Um, yeah. And you know, on the rare occasion, you'll have somebody, like I said, that, that wants to make you insecure or make you ashamed about not knowing something. You just got to look for the right opportunity just, you know, to shank them in the hall. Like just, yeah, when, <laughs> when you run into that person, what you've got to do is you've got to lock eyes with them and then put out your right hand, extend your thumb and your pinky and waggle it back and forth a little bit while didgeridoo music plays in the background. Is this like a curse situation or is this like some sort of psych out? What are we doing? Eventually here? they'll be brought to heal. No, that's, that's the crocodile <laughs> okay. Dundee. I was wondering. I mean, I knew the didgeridoo played a vital, vital role in that somewhere, but. Oh no, the didgeridoo has got to be going out. Like if you just do it silently with the, with the hand gesture, then you, you, again, that's like not hitting the teacup with the monocle. Like some of these like things, they asshole. have to be taken as a complete package. Yeah. You know, my only complaint with that is that th- that does require a bit of setup. Um, you have to have either a coworker with free time who can practice uh, free time, both to practice the digital do and to be <laughs> and to meet at the office at the said time uh, to to play the digital do for you, um, or you need to convince somebody else in the office to play the digital do for you. Um, what you want to avoid, though, so is variables. the appropriation of native cultures. So really what you want to do is you want to get an aboriginal musician, specifically from Australia, to come over and, you know, you're, you have, you're, it's going to be expensive. You're going to have right. to pay them for their time. Right. You have to pay but for the so plane that ticket. They can be you there have in to, the room. I mean, you have to pay for, like you said, their time because it's not going to be cheap. Um, but also you have to pay their per diem, which we've already talked about. Yeah. And... I mean, you, you gotta be, gotta give them that money. But all those things coming together, then you can, you can definitely cow that, uh, that upper level guy who's trying to put one over on you. <laughs> so yeah, you know, having confidence is, is a skill. Like, it's just like, I mean, confidence is a muscle. You know, you have to, you really have to work at it. And some people find it, you know, just like with most muscles, you know, some people are born with, uh, well-crafted musculature and they have a good foundation to build on. Other people, like me, uh, start with nothing <laughs> and, have to, <laughs> and have to create muscles chemically and biologically with proteins and other such nutrients in order to, to craft a you know an otherwise normal human form. Um, I mean, I almost don't look like it now, but I started off as a gelatinous cube. Just no bones, no nothing. You had to grow it all nope. from scratch. Just a cube of protoplasm. And from there, I mean, to see the man that I am today, <laughs> it's an impressive transformation, even if I do say so myself. That it is. Uh, but no, confidence is definitely something that you have to, you have to, you have to exercise. And, um, you know, it's not going to come super comfortably to everybody, but uh, being confident in yourself and, and knowing the line between confidence and arrogance That'll get you a long way, and the the good people that recognize that and reward that are the people that you want to, you know, have your back. But the people that uh, shame you for normal every you know, weakness that everybody has, then just fuck them. Wait, don't I mean don't like fuck them? Not but not not yeah right yeah, right yeah. 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 <laughs> you say fuck them. That's it. <laughs> Second try. Want to hit us up with an issue from the internet? Yeah, let's do that. All right. This issue is from user Mellow Kitty Cat. Mellow. What are some cool hobbies to make up to not seem like a lame person? <laughs> ah. So I, I realize this, this is similar sounds... to the previous question. Oh, it is. Uh, I, I, 
reading the rest of the question, uh, it it is it is not the same, but it sounds ah. the same. Uh, Please continue. I realize this sounds horrible and lame, but I found out my best friend was spreading rumors about me at school. I know it was her, that bitch, because she was the only one I talked to. I don't want to have a fight with her. She might do something worse, but I don't want to be friends because she uses me to go out and get free lunches. Ooh, so it goes deeper. Uh, We have gone out six times in the past year and eaten expensive restaurants, and she hasn't even offered to split the bill once. Mm, So we got a little bit of a leech going on. Abigail's a two-faced bitch. She is. I don't actually want to have hobbies. I am too tired and want to nap. I'm a lame person and don't have any more friends, so I spend my weekend sleeping. Hmm. That is, uh, that's a bummer. Um, however, <laughs> I want an excuse to not go out with her. <laughs> what are some hobbies that require my time and commitment to go out? Also, she knows me well and knows I will never do sports. Our, and she, she has a note <laughs> at the bottom that says, I already do baking, decorating, piano, and singing. So, so with the baking, decorating, piano, and singing, obviously those are things that, like, unless she had, like, a recital, may not necessarily get her out of a social commitment. Um, I was going to say, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that she's already got hobbies. The key here is to put the word competitive in front of each one. <laughs> competitive decorating. <laughs> competitive decorating. I, I do think the, this, baking, I mean, the baking decorating was, like, Baking and cake decorating. But I want to believe that they meant like <laughs> competitive macrame. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on Food Network being judged by Guy Fieri <laughs> and on on the quality of my bake. Him and Mary Berry, they're going to be together oh, judging Christ. me on my bunt cakes. That's a good reason not to go out with this bitch. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is that I am not sure that that in any reality would anybody believe that Mary Berry would step foot in the fucking room with Guy Fieri. (laughs) She has too much fucking respect for herself (laughs) to be in that same room with Guy Fieri. But Guy doesn't. So I think that's that's sort of how it happens. Is they're just like Mary Berry is refusing, but then Guy Fieri is okay being in the same room with someone who obviously has no interest in being in the room with him. Well, I I think that pretty much covers everybody when it comes to Guy Fieri. <laughs> they I think they uh, what they probably would just do is shoot each of their scenes separately and then right. just edit them together afterwards. That is exactly what I was thinking. Uh, have some sort of complicated editing process, maybe even a green screen. Uh, that's right. So she films the actual competition show, and they just green screen him in. <laughs> I mean, so, shit, they don't even need to really do any additional taping for him. They right. just, you know, play a rerun of Diners, Dive-in, or, uh, diners Drive-Ins, and Dives. Right. I mean, he just has to, and, uh, he, he just has to, to kind of say stuff about Flavortown, and that's that's pretty much all he would need. Uh, he'd basically, he'd do like three takes. Like that's not, that's not going to take me to Flavortown. That is kind of adjacent to Flavortown. And that brought me right to fucking Flavortown. Like <laughs> the three yeah, those things, things they could just, he would have to say, um, cause I'm not sure he's qualified to like judge like Mary Berry, uh, you know, the quality of bakes or anything like that. It's just <laughs> how close did that get me to Flavortown? And the more I talk about it, I think <laughs> I think Flavortown may just be his, his euphemism for climax. <laughs> but it's like I took a bite of that and I got straight to Flavortown. I need new pants. <laughs> <laughs> was it pretty? Good? It was good. It was good. It was real good. Uh, maybe that's the maybe that's the reason that Mary Berry wants nothing to do with him. Um, she's all about like, <laughs> she's all about, I mean, she's being a coy. proper English lady. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so, so my, my only problem, so, so maybe like a, you know, filming a baking or, you know, some sort of baking competition show or cooking competition. show that could be believed because it's a closed set. Couldn't really have spectators. That's fine. But like with piano and singing, typically those are like recitals or, 
like open competition type of things, like not really things that you could say, I'm going to a competition and no, before you ask, you can't attend. <laughs> like that's not competitive blood sport piano. <laughs> All right, Frank, I'm with you on this one. Explain to me how the fuck that works. <laughs> it's Beethoven and Bach to the death. But they're already dead. Well, not not <laughs> them to the death. Like, we're playing. <laughs> so do they just they just play until one of them dies? I mean, that's <laughs> that's uh, old hardcore rules. Nowadays, um, they actually put them on little motorized carts with the pianos. <laughs> and they're driving around while playing. Okay. Uh, and, and then they've just got knives. Um <laughs> And so the key is is maintaining your ability to, you know, hit those good notes um, while being not terribly, but fairly significantly stabbed <laughs> and or doing some fairly significant stabbing. When you have to uh, Tokyo drift that grand piano, shit's going to get real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're coming you're coming into that corner and, uh, you know, you got to get straightened out or else uh, at, they're going to be right behind you with that knife. <laughs> And I mean, they're pen knives. It it's going to take a while. This is not a this is not a fast sport, right? I mean, it, with, with Beethoven and, and and Mozart, like if they were full, you know, full length knives, like you wouldn't get even like ten percent through one of their big movements. So, oh yeah, you, nothing nothing over two inches, nothing over two inches for a competitive blood sport piano. Also, and I think as, that makes for a good excuse, right? Also known as death by a thousand cuts. Um, also, you know. <laughs> So you you can say that you have this blood sport piano recital that you have to go to, and then that you there has to be some sort of post about how you lost, and so I mean obviously she she would assume that you are dead, <laughs> so she would no longer and that does she no longer try yeah, to that make social saves you from having you. to go to the to to anything else with her right you know I mean you don't want to go out to the movies with this person. The clearly the easiest thing to do is to fake your own death in a blood sport piano recital competition. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've that's, used that's that one problem. before in college to get out of a couple of tests. <laughs> it's kind of one of those tricks. You can only use once Frank, because once they assume I mean, you're dead, I at mean, most three times, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I thought that it was to the death. It's like, well, I got better. Yeah, I mean, one Christ-like resurrection, <laughs> you can try and sell that to the professor. Right. But by the time you get to three, it is beginning to, you know, really become difficult. I mean, even Jesus only came back once. So. Exactly. Um, now, so my I other thought on this subject uh -huh. is she doesn't have any friends and she doesn't have any hobbies. Okay. If she actually got some hobbies, <laughs> maybe she would have some involved friends. Involved other people, she would have other friends. I mean, I mean that... stay with me here. <laughs> if she actually got out of the fucking house and stopped napping, maybe she would have somebody to hang out with, except for Abigail, that leeching bitch, backstabber <laughs> that she is. And you know, uh, reading some of the comments, like they're not taking it nearly as funny as we do. But basically, that's that's their whole point. Apparently, is that she needs to uh, be less depressed and then go make friends like that. And I get that, but that's not, you know, we're here to provide the bad advice. I think the good advice is covered on that one. We need to provide the well, bad I mean, advice. I don't know. Is it bad advice? Because here, here's the thing: she'll make a lot of new friends as she gets. The competitive piano blood sport league off the ground in her local area. <laughs> See, I mean, it, it takes a lot of people to put one of those shows on. It, it's not just kind of you know two people, two pianos, two carts, two small knives. Right. It but takes a village. It, it does, but the problem is, is that you know you you really. I mean, you could do some sparring, like some, uh, you know, maybe getting getting poked with like plastic cutlery at first so where there's just like a little bit of bloodletting but not necessarily death um but once you really start those competitions uh you, you kind of start 
you know, competitors start dropping like flies, and by the end, there's only one. So, I mean, I guess we can call it like, you know, Piano Highlander. <laughs> well, I mean, so. if if you want to be a complete pansy about it, you can go to the Chinet League. The Chinet League? Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's that's where you're just using the plastic cutlery and. <laughs> Um, you've got pressure-sensitive body suits, and it's whoever manages to score the most right, points. A point system instead of actual death. Yeah, but I mean, if you're really going to be core about it, if you're going to be going hard on the competitive piano blood sport, it really has to be with two-inch blades to the death. <laughs> but if she's looking to make new friends, I mean, she could get a Chinette League off the ground. Right. Because if she if she uh, did the actual competitive you know piano blood sport, uh, and she had to like it's like one of those uh, dr- dramatic uh, <laughs> dramatic comedy movies or or you know comedy drama whatever the, romantic comedy whatever the fuck uh, dramedy dramedy movies uh, where they have to go up against their own best friend in in the competitive piano blood sport um, then they then they I mean, kill I- their friend. I can't tell you how many friends I've lost <laughs> to competitive piano blood sport. <laughs> the the memorial. I mean, it's hard. The competitive blood sport, uh, competitive piano blood sport memorial. It just is. It's a list, and it's growing, and it's. I mean, it's a terrible thing. Few students come out of the Suzuki method, whole in body and mind, without having lost someone close to them. <laughs> But at the end, I think you're a better performer for it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to be. Or, I mean, I guess technically, uh, may okay. So let's get into the mechanics <laughs> of how this works. We got the stabbing part; that's fine. But so, how does so? What would keep somebody from just you know not actually playing the piano and just like be better at their stabbing, like? Is the the vehicle they're in powered by, you know, correct marks? It's kind of like a Guitar Hero style, uh, where <laughs> the better their score, the faster they go, and the more control they have over the vehicle. Like, how do we how I, do we do this? I mean, with with current technology, we're starting to see more and more of that in the leagues. Mm-hmm. But uh, most traditionally, uh, it was uh, crossbows. Um. <laughs> Okay. And whoever stopped playing for more than 30 seconds um, was summarily shot dead by the crossbowman. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a brutal sport, and I think everybody knows what they're getting into when they enter the ring. Yeah, but you know, you have those people that where their parents were competitive piano blood sport folks, and they got their kids into it, and their their heart's really not in it. I mean, they really would prefer something more tame, uh, like you know, fencing with real swords and whatnot. But you know, they kind of they kind of have to do this. So I, yeah, I feel a little. I mean, feel a little bad about them. If it's, them if just it's getting... in your cultural background, it, it's just it's hard to explain to people who who aren't in it. I mean, <laughs> my people have have been into this since it was horse drawn carts and harpsichords. So it's. It's deep into the makeup. It's hard to explain. Okay, I, 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 I'm starting to understand that you know it's not my culture, so it's it's not for me to critique. I'm just saying that you know when there could only be one winner, um, and maybe it's kind of like a like a duel thing. Like you don't you don't necessarily like win a competition so much. It's just that every now and then there's like a there's like a title fight where it's like you know Christina has been champion for the last five years and and Devin is you know trying to knock her off her pedestal. So let's let's all do all this fanfare with the competitive piano blood sport event. I mean you now I will allow that some people go to first blood, but you you rarely get past like the first opening movement of the piece. <laughs> right. Especially with before the match is already over. Yeah, I mean it's it's just over so quickly that you don't really get to enjoy the music <laughs> <laughs> because that's essential. I mean, you know, otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> well, the knife is the point, obviously. Oh uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
all right. So moving on from competitive competitive piano blood sport, um, what what are some other activities that she could uh, that she could pretend to have in order to uh, throw some throw some chaff uh, and not get locked on by this uh, heat seeking leech of a friend? I mean, um, I mean, community I, theater. See, because here's the thing: if you tell somebody that you're involved in community theater, <laughs> they don't want to be your friend. They're going to get as far away from you as humanly possible before you start going on. See, you know, I was worried we had another situation where it might be like some sort of public display that you would have to say they couldn't, you know, the tickets are all sold out or something like that. But no, you went with the uh, the kind of scorched earth policy. Of, no, no, oh, no, exactly. I'm in the theater. <laughs> and see how fast they can get out the door. <laughs> I mean, just say, I'm part of a small theater troupe, and in fact, we're trying to raise funds for our production of, and that's about as far as you'll get <laughs> See, no one's ever there's just a dust cloud. Yeah, they don't actually have to write the scripts any further than that, because people have either given their money to make them shut up by the time they get to it, or they've left. So it's really kind of a waste of time to write anything further. Exactly. Or, or, so this one isn't necessarily a hobby. Um, just tell them, uh, I have joined a cult and we would like you to join our, our group. It's very important. Um, you know, that, that out- outreach is a core co- uh, principle of ours. Um, so if you would, you know, we, we can meet in this uh, abandoned warehouse and we'll have a, Ritual sacrifice. I'm not saying it's you. I'm not saying you are the ritual sacrifice. But we no, have I mean one. you're gonna need you're gonna need to bring your own uh, knife with at most a two inch blade, <laughs> uh, a gerbil, a blindfold, <laughs> and a black robe. <laughs> but we're all we're open to all comers. Like they're really minimal requirements. So here here's the problem: is that you know they say okay. And then, you know, they want to join the cult. Hmm. At that point, new cult. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you've got your, you've got your first apostle. All right. Exactly. <laughs> Fuck it. At that point, well, I guess we're gonna just keep rolling with this. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that's how most cult leaders ended up starting. It's like, well, I just wanted to get out of going to the movies with my friend, but people just kept like agreeing to this, so. Now I I am the embodiment of Jesus in the flesh, apparently, because these people won't leave me alone. <laughs> and I keep telling them dumb shit, like, you know, the Lord I'm the wants you to give me all Jesus your... in the flesh. <laughs> Other than that, uh, I keep telling them, you know, to give me all their money. I keep telling them to, you know, let me have sex with them whenever I want. I keep telling them these just crazy fucked up things and they keep saying okay so i'm just gonna ride this train till the wheels fall off yeah i mean that's, that's the Jonestown only thing you can happened. really do <laughs> yeah i mean at that point it's really hard to walk it back after you after the things that have happened to the gerbil have happened to the gerbil you you can't come out and say i just didn't want to go to the movies with you, you can't anymore. unflay a gerbil after no. it's been done no i mean you can't stitch that back on man <laughs> that's not how it works no, I, I think that uh, that you know you should take them to a warehouse. So so let's say they say yes, and you because I think that we have a personal investment in this particular cult. Um, you take them to a warehouse, and all that's set up is a bunch of bathroom stalls, and ah uh, yeah. So each person just picks their own bathroom stall, and then. You just he- kind of hear a bunch of shuffling from every direction, um, and then a demon shows up. That's that's how it works. Sometimes when you don't have an answer, you just have to create your own. Exactly. You have to be your own solution. All right, Derek, want to punch the clock? Yeah, let's punch the clock. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer on air, send them to questions at WLICast.com. They don't have to be work-related, and at this point, they're pretty much guaranteed to make it on the show. Send your feedback or comments to feedback at WLICast.com. 
You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WLICast or on Twitter at WLimbalance and use the hashtag WLICast. This has been the Work-Life Imbalance Podcast. I'm Frank Eastman. I'm Derek Lewis. And with that, I think we're going to have to transfer you.